Austin Found is sponsored by the LBJ Presidential Library. Listen to the library's new podcast, With the Bark Off, conversations from the LBJ Presidential Library. Candid and revealing episodes will be added each week. Subscribe for free in your preferred podcast app. Literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to the show. I'm J.B. Hager. I'm Michael Barnes. And we are here again to tell you more about this great city. We are, we are. And I love this, and I really encourage people to to read the version of what we're about to do today. Because in uh, your book, Indelible Austin, Volume 1, Volume one. You, you make this uh, great analogy of the this, the city and the materials used to build it. And comparing it to the rings of a tree. I did. And what made me think back to the story this week is, you know, everybody during this pandemic is out walking more. And they're walking in their neighborhoods and they're learning more about their neighborhoods. And our neighborhoods, you know, Bolden and Travis Heights, people are walking all the time, taking all the right precautions, social distancing, masks and stuff. But what they're learning is what walkers, pedestrians in town already know, which is it's too easy to divide the city between east and west or north and south. In fact, it can be thought of as being united by rings of structures that were built around the same time. So, for instance, with the cottage ring from the 1930s and 40s, these are small, cozy places with fireplaces off and chimneys outside you can follow them in a ring all the way around the city north south east west travis heights bolden zilker terrytown literally uh, visually you would see a large circle exactly and you can do that with all the different main building eras of the city Uh, up until very recently it's always in a ring shape oh wow and unfortunately, a lot of those pieces of the ring have been torn down and McMansioned and... Yeah, and fortunately, <laughs> and, you know, it's it's funny because the bungalows, I live in a bungalow, mm-hmm. they were in the early 20th century. They're so beautifully adapted to Austin's climate and, and, and topography with the big shady porches and eaves and things like that. And they're really lovely and they're kind of halfway between traditional and modern. But people are building them anew. And people are building onto them. Yeah. So they're not necessarily tearing them all down. They're treasuring this as well. Um, and a lot of the, the bungalows in our two neighborhoods have been preserved. Yeah, there are. And, uh, you know, we preserved a, I guess, it would be considered small ranch, as I was reading <laughs> the descriptions. From, now, that sounds big. It's tiny, right? I'm talking <laughs> 1,600 square feet. But it's more that one-story ranch style. Yeah, open plan, post-war. And was marketed as a teardown. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, and, <laughs> and we, we rescued it. And I, I Good for you. I, yeah, we did. We, we had some vision and, and enough cash to make it come back oh, to cool. life. But uh, I, I did laugh when you, when you referred to the, the bungalows because the first home my wife and I bought was in Old Infield oh, on oh. a street called Newfield, mm-hmm. which is down at the end uh, adjacent to Mopac right. and 24th Street. 
And so here we are, these bright-eyed, optimistic young couple just bought their first <laughs> home, and there's an old infield neighborhood gathering. Mm-hmm. What we quickly found, if you go up the hill <laughs> from our... But you were in the poor part of old infield. You people... were in the slums <laughs> yes. of old infield. People would very quickly go, oh, you're in the bungalows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we loved it. Yeah, because a lot it. of old rich families live in old infield and in Mm -hmm. pemberton nearby that's Mm -hmm. that's their old hangout yeah so as we talk about the rings it started out with wood cabins which clearly no longer exist well there are a few that are preserved as a historic mark right yeah as as historic buildings uh most of them have been moved however like to a park like grosset park or zilker park their their cabins there also, uh, there is at least two structures in Rosedale that ha- are in place. They have not been uh, uh, torn down, and they are where they originally were, not moved. And then as we move through the rings, one of the next generations was limestone, limestone. which is, a, I mean, plentiful around here. We have here. a lot of that. <laughs> and, right. and there were limestone quarries all over town. Yeah. And you probably have one in your neighborhood, and you don't even know it, because they have not seized quarrying it all these decades and but that would made more permanent building like for instance the the only sawn wood structure lumber structure in the original capital in 1839 was the president's mansion which was made of green wood so it it disintegrated in like a year Ah. I i don't even know if anybody ever lived in it so but the stone remained and that's kind of the hard inner core of our rings analogy yeah yeah my mine has a limestone rock exterior yeah and and you do see a lot of that it's been revived many times of of the limestone facades you know just to put it on the the front of uh, something that's made of some other material right right and then another thing was granite which when you it's not as noticeable now as the city has grown around it but when you look at at the heart of the capital area mm-hmm. and all that pink stone mm-hmm. that that I just remember so much as as a as a kid moving here and like right. wow, what is this these pink buildings it was right. it really was most of downtown for a long long time there was a lot of work with granite of course at the same time with wood and brick and we'll get to that but the granite was shipped down here from quarries near Marble Falls during the 1880s to build the the current Capitol building, um, the domed one that we know now. And they built a, a special narrow-gauge railroad up to Marble Falls to bring it in. Railroad was later widened, and it is what is now the railroad going northwest. You know, people take the old-timey... Oh, out of Cedar Park. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you can still ride in an you old can, classic yeah. train. I still haven't done that. That's I haven't one, done that either. It's on my list. Other builders used it, and we had all these stonemasons in town at that point. A lot of them were African-American. Mason Town, in fact, was a, a freedom colony in East Austin where the Masons lived. Hmm. It's now where the development... Saltillo Plaza is where it was. Now, the bricks were were all made, for the most part, on the South Shore. You could make bricks on your own farm, but the bricks that were made commercially were mostly uh, done by Michael Butler and his family. There's Michael Butler Park over by Palmer Event Center. They owned all the land from uh, basically Silker Park to South First Street. 
That for a point of reference, that's the little spiral. Uh, no, that's in, that's it's bigger than that. It's all the park around that. Yeah, you know, and but that's the point of reference people talk about when you say that Butler Park. Butler Park, and that was Michael Butler. Huh. There are three different Butler families that were very uh, municipal, and he's one of them. We won't get into the others t- today. When you see these beige, beautiful bricks, very warm colored bricks in a cafe downtown or a club in East Austin or in a shop on South Congress, those are Butler bricks. Mm. The kind that was the most plain was called Austin Common. Never paint them, for one thing. Never right. paint any bricks. That's a bad for them. Right. But also, Andrew Zilker, the Zilkers made bricks, and hmm. their brickyard was on the north side of the shore, but they would sh- ship the clay over in buckets on a rope over the river. So, oh wow, and the wood mostly came from Bashup, of course, first, then from more fertile forests in Louisiana and East Texas. And the main firm back then was Calcasieu, and there was a huge lumber yard downtown, Calcasieu Lumber. And a lot of people will remember that it was still there, right across the street from where Liberty Lunches was. Was <laughs> sorry, <laughs> was, and we'll return someday. We'll see. So, and, and there was a short stint of Victorian here. Why was very that? Very short. Well, a couple of reasons. We have very little, few Victorians, although they're all are in a circle. You know, even in East Austin, big, wooden, usually ornate, fanciful Victorian architecture. But we didn't have a lot of wealth in the in the Victorian era. We were a small, not a place that had any great wealth so very few of them were built a but b they were they went way out of style mid-century so a lot of more torn down that circle is very thin the victorian circle you described a lot of neighborhoods mm-hmm. and a couple of them i didn't know where they are Let's, so let me name them off I'll if help. you don't mind sure uh travis heights which we talked about and people are very familiar with the soco area Bolden, same thing. same thing a little less than travis heights but yes uh, Zilker, of course, near yeah. the park that right. we all know. Old West Austin, mm-hmm. West Campus. And this one I didn't know, Heritage. It is not often used, but the, the, the neighborhood that's behind Texas French Bread and behind... 29th and guadalupe Yeah, uh, north of there. Okay. In that area, there's a, a great old 1840s house there in the middle of that neighborhood, which was, was way out of town when it was built. Mm-hmm. It has been preserved, and it's called Heritage House, and they called the whole neighborhood Heritage. Wow, didn't know that one. Hancock is when you get up uh, Red River in 40th-ish. Hancock is everything east of Hyde Park, of greater Hyde Park. And a lot of people think of Hancock as part of Hyde Park, but yeah. The people in Hancock will tell you differently. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rented a house in college on Park Lane. That's Hancock. Oh, wow. was, yes, absolutely. And it and was the a mayor, Sears then. Now it's an HEB across the street. Yeah, and the mayor Tom Miller had that 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 uh, Tudor revival house at the end of Park. Yeah, it was a Tudor style home. Yeah, uh, in fact, and in Central East Austin, you mentioned, but the other neighborhood I did not know offhand, and I just save it to ask you in person. I could but look it up. You could. <laughs> uh, French Place. Yes, it's directly east of campus area, north of Manor, basically the way to think about it. If you're thinking of landmarks, if you're at the Vortex Theater or El Chile or something, north of that, Hoover's. I've heard people call that Terrytown East. 
Just in, I, as a slang thing. Well, that could be a new thing. I don't <laughs> right? know. But it was it was the beginning of uh, white neighborhoods going to the north. The African-American neighborhoods were the south of Maynard. So it was actually a place where cultures met. Uh, kind of like 6th Street and East Avenue and Red River were places of cultural contact during the times of segregation. And, hmm. and as soon as the Fair Housing Ordinance came in in 1968... A lot of African-Americans moved into French Place and all the areas to the north and northeast until you get to Pflugerville. (laughs) Austin Found is brought to you by the LBJ Presidential Library. More info at lbjlibrary.org. One of the things that you mentioned during the, uh, the Depression, the Great Depression, and then followed by World War II, Austin wasn't hit as hard as a lot of places. And now you look back again in more recent history, like uh, in particular in the 08 mm-hmm. slump. Financial crash. Austin yeah. did well, you know, compared well, because compared. we because we buy local, we support local. And I just thought that was an interesting thing that... Well, there were two, uh, there were two factors and other factors in that. Uh, the, the federal government poured a lot of money into Austin during the Depression because all of the money that went out to the rest of the state in relief and in projects and, and building projects, WPA and so forth, all came through Austin. Austin got a lot of that. A lot of our buildings were built then, our bridges, our roads were paved during that period. There was a lot of activity going on, and you can trace a lot of it back to that uh, involvement of the federal government here during the Great Depression. And then for the the later slump that we kind of missed, and we didn't miss the Depression. I don't want to give that right, right, right give right. that impression. But uh, it just was a lot less terrible here, particularly. But for that later, uh, the Great Recession of 08, 09, we had uh, the tech industry was really still booming. Mm-hmm. You know, we've never been a financial center. You know, we've never had insurance companies and banks and stuff like that in on a large scale. So we didn't suffer from, you know, the fact that the banks were going under and the the all of our tech companies had venture capitalists as an alternative. You talk about Austin not being as affected during, you know, the World War II and Great Depression. Uh, I did learn that your grandmother was a social worker in Austin. Yes, and we can devote a whole episode to her because I found out so much about her, but I won't. Uh, right now, The she was uh, a mentor to LBJ. She was the head of the Relief Commission. She was in charge of getting all those uh, um, New Deal welfare checks out to everybody. I didn't really understand this until very recently. You know, I just knew her as the woman who, you know, <laughs> made Thanksgiving dinner. I didn't know right. she she was that powerful. But she and LBJ had uh, nearby offices in the Littlefield building, and she had a master's degree in social work. So she kind of taught him the importance of data. You got to write it down. <laughs> and so, well, the reason I bring her up, and the uh, the reason you put that in the section of the book was. She had some some thoughts on what Austin was like during that time where you think Great Depression and people picture those soup and bread lines in New York City. Mm -hmm. Wasn't quite like that here. It wasn't. I mean, there were there were people moving through town. Definitely. I've heard many stories of eyewitnesses of there being people who were displaced during this. But for most of the time, remember, we had the university, we had the, the state government. 
and and those kept going on. The two biggest employers in town were were still chugging along. Remind people, but before the tech boom and all that, growing up here, everybody who I knew that went to UT, you left unless you went into state government mm-hmm. or the university. Right. There weren't other options. No, <laughs> if you had a business degree or whatever, a professional degree, you went to Dallas or Houston. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any money to be made here. No. You know, the people who stayed here enjoyed life here. Yeah. And and they also realized their paychecks would never be that big mm-hmm. from the government, but they'd have a nice pension and, and they could live comfortably when we were a r- low rent town. There was a guy who's an Austin musician still to this day that I cooked with at an old steakhouse oh, wow. and, and when I was in high school. And he would say, Austin is where young people go to retire. <laughs> That's what he would say <laughs> in the 80s. a great line, <laughs> especially in the 80s. In the 80s, right? Yes, right. Especially in the 80s. While you talk, we're talking about federal money being pumped into Austin, I found this very interesting, and I feel like we dodged a bullet, but the city had this vision of Austin becoming the Pittsburgh of the Southwest. Yes, it really, they thought it would be, this is in the 1890s, they thought it would be a manufacturing center. Uh, It wasn't a distribution center because it wasn't in the right place for that uh, geographically. It didn't have a port. What else could we be? And they thought, well, we'd be a manufacturing center. And they built a dam on the Colorado River, which at the time, in the early 1890s, was considered like a wonder of the world. Of course, it crashed in 1900 in a big flood. But that was going to provide limitless electricity for manufacturing here. And then when it didn't happen because of the flood and also the intermittent flow of the Colorado River during drought years... They decided, no, I guess we're not going to be Pittsburgh. I guess we'll be the home city, and we'll be a city of homes. And that is where we live now. A home you know, city. is a place where people come to live. You yeah, know, because it's, it's about so, the people and not the industry. Right. And the beautiful setting and the beautiful neighborhoods. Yeah. And, and back to the rings, another one that you mentioned is the the ranch, which I described it as, my, that just means it's a yeah. one story spread out. Oh. And, I, and, I, and you mentioned, you referenced one of my favorite neighborhoods in the whole city, <laughs> and that's Crestview, which is oh, north yes. central Austin. Yes, and, and there were a lot of those neighborhoods. All of the veterans were coming back after World War II. A lot of them were going to UT on the GI Bill. And whole neighborhoods, like Crestview, was built for veterans. Windsor Park was built for veterans. Oh, that's another one of my uh, favorite neighborhoods. Yeah. And, you know, I just did a big story on the history of Western Trails, which is out there behind Central Market South. And it, it started a little later in, in the mid-50s. But, uh, again, uh, uh, ranch homes, open plans, where the kitchen and living room and dining room were all in the same space. Small bedrooms, often big backyards. And also this was a period when people moved into their backyards. And before, with a bungalow, generally, or with a cottage, you were on your front porch. And now everybody moved in the 1950s into their back oh, patio. Interesting. I never thought and about that's that. that's where... And there are all kinds of American cultural changes that influenced that. But this is the time that it happened. The barbecue grill probably exactly. had a lot to do with it, right? <laughs> Partly, and also the fact that they could air condition the rest of the house. They didn't have to sit on the front porch right. and under the ceiling fan, right. you know. Yeah. But it made us less communal and more like the nuclear families that, yeah. that both you and I knew growing up. 
Just a couple more touch points on on the rings. There was the, and a bit of an '80s boom, yes. which probably saw mostly suburban and brick, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And there there was in the '70s there was a, a boom, and and it was unfortunately uh, cheaply and quickly made. And a lot of those houses from the '70s are falling apart now and make up our our new donut or tree ring mm-hmm. of kind of slummy areas because. They, you know, nobody's going to fix them up. You know, they're, wow. they're they were so cheaply made. But in the eighties and into the nineties, you get these bigger houses, more neo traditional houses. You know, big giant entertaining areas that they never home used. Home theaters, you know, home theaters. <laughs> right. You know, everybody had a, a playroom a just pool. for the kids. You know, like Eggs, oh, yeah. that's de rigueur. And. And, and of course, interestingly, this is where the the tree ring analogy breaks down because all of that really happened west in the hills. Mm-hmm. That did not spread. You will not find these kinds of of oversized neo traditional houses from the that period in East Austin or South Austin or even North Austin. It's mostly further out west. Now we have McMansions in the middle of the city. And people are moving back into the city after the white flight of the... Which, 50s. if you're new to Austin, which a lot of people are, mm-hmm. as of right now, 2020, what was it, about seven years ago, the McMansion was a hot debate. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially in West Austin. The yeah. small home would be torn down, and they'd go to the borders of the their property. property. And then the older neighbor who's been there forever is now living in the shadows, literally, between two giant homes. Right. It was happening a lot. Yeah, and it's still happening. We're pretty much ignoring the ordinance. Now, although the shape of, of those new big houses changed a lot because of the ordinance, because architects can design around anything. Right. And so they went up three stories, or they placed the, the house way to the back of the lot. Mm-hmm. Or they did inventive things in our neighborhood. They're still doing it every day. I mean, if you walk down my street today, there'd still be construction on some of these. I won't call them McMansions. I think that's derogatory. But but these larger new homes, the modernist movement, which would pro- if you were writing the, the, the volume one mm-hmm. now, it would probably include this modernist oh, movement. But you you wrote this what three years ago. That Ish. one was actually almost five years yeah, ago. Yeah, the right? first volume. And I think yeah. that modernist movement is well, the, the ex- right after that. The explosion of that yeah. modernist, new modernist movement. Because we, we did have little tiny bits of modernism going back all the way to the 20s. But this new modernism, and it's almost a postmodernism, but we don't want to split hairs. It's just of the last few years in terms of whole neighborhoods being uh, uh, transformed into these this kind of house. Yeah, in particular, Bolden comes to mind, oh, where I've goodness. seen the biggest change in the last the, five years. The block directly across the street from us, if you go all the way around the block, there are only three original cottages left. Everything else now is a big, tall, often with two or three homes on one lot. That's where we live now. That's where we live now. <laughs> I know. We do reap some benefits from all this. We do. So we, do. we have we, to. We, I'm not a, like a purist on this. But, right. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, there you go. Thank you very much. That's Michael Barnes. And you should pick up these books if you love these kind of Indelible stories. Indelible Austin. Volumes one through three are and out. And you can get them. Uh, uh, book people will ship them to you now. Okay. And abe.com will ship them to you. Uh, Amazon has put books on hold while they try to ship more important things. But And, of course, the bookstores, brick and mortar, are all closed. 
and subscribe to Think Texas. Think Texas and, and Austin Found. And we do appreciate your feedback. In fact, we got an email from Brian Walsh. It says, enjoying your pod as I self-isolate. That's what's going on right now. I wonder if you consider doing one on Aquafest. I moved, oh, yeah. I moved to Austin in 1983 and had to leave in the recession of 87, so I caught it for a short time, and it was gone by the time I moved back in 1993. Again, that's from Brian Walsh. I, we have to talk about Aquafest. Oh, it had a long time. roller coaster history and was very, it was the, the South High of its day. To, to use a, a, a tired cliche. <laughs> I still have a skipper pen somewhere. Oh, you do? Yeah. yeah. Well, So we will do that at okay. some point. Brian, thanks for your feedback. If you'd like to uh, request something, give some feedback, a comment, anything, send it to imbarns at statesman.com. Thanks for tuning in and share this with your friends and Please uh, have them subscribe to Austin Found.